0: Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company, and uh, you can visit the website Johnson's Air Conditioning. Dot com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is NaplesIllustrated.com. By the way, you can sign up for On the Town, giving you some of the highlights of things that are going on on the Paradise Coast. It comes to you weekly in your inbox. Got mine today. NaplesIllustrated.com. We have great guests for today's show, including Bob Levy. He is the chairman of the Cato Institute. We are raising the question, has the Supreme Court subverted the Constitution, especially since the New Deal? Some of the decisions certainly have, and we'll talk about why. Andrew Jopp is professor at Mercy College and author of Josephus of Oz. We're talking about the balance between uh, health care and uh, human, or rather uh, community health, and the economy. It will also visit with Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of several books, uh, his latest is Cyber Warfare, Targeting America, Our Infrastructure, and Our Future. It's a scary title, but it's a scary topic as well. It is April the 1st. Happy April Fool's Day. Nothing. Uh, I don't think we're going to pull in any tricks on this show. But Anyhow, on this day in uh, 1972, Mexican-American labor organizer and civil rights activist Cesar Chavez began a hunger strike, the strike which he undertook to opposition to an Arizona law severely restricting farm workers' ability to organize lasted 24 days and drew national attention to the suffering, quote-unquote, of itinerant farm workers in the Southwest. A fervid admirer of Mahatma Gandhi, Chavez had undertaken several hunger strikes before. As a co-founder of the United Farm Workers, he and his strikes had played important roles in many a major labor Actions, including the five-year Delano grape strike in California, in response to the wave of organizing that had swept the region, Arizona's legislature passed a bill that constricted workers' rights to organize outlawed secondary boycotts and allowed growers to obtain a restraining order to prevent strikes during the harvest. Despite an outcry from the farm workers and Chavez re, uh, request that they meet to discuss the bill, uh, Governor Jack Williams immediately signed into law that led to a law. and later in the days Chavez began as fast. and increasingly emaciated Chavez appeared regularly in mass, by, attended by his supporters and others from civil rights movement. Creta Scott King, whose husband of course Martin Luther King, uh, King Jr. had supported Chavez in his previous strikes, attended one such mass. And George McGovern spoke out and uh, uh, supported the effort. And the irony is, of course, uh, they ended up getting what they wanted and organized. One of one of the things that's not really pu- published about this is that uh, he disrupted the uh, immigration standards and, and laws that we had. Uh, instead of having itinerant farm workers come across the border and work and then go back home after the season, well, he wanted them to be able to stay permanently, which kind of antiquated the uh, laws that we have now and disrupted the whole process. So, uh, nevertheless, uh, he gained some notoriety for his work in in emulating uh, Gandhi. Well, U.S. stocks ended the month of March with broad declines. Do you see they capped the biggest quarterly drop since the financial crisis? The Dow Jones Industrial Average peeled off 410 points, uh, a 1.84% drop. Right now, the futures are down over 700. That's about a 3.5% drop, so uh, we're anticipating some bad news in the stock market today. Some uh, jitters about how this is all going to play out, and with the extension of the uh, Play It Safe package, the four points to social distancing that the President has recommended through uh, April the 30th. Well, with the onslaught of the coronavirus has not only sent the global economy tumbling, it's also hit black markets where it hurts. The Mexican cartels are suffering. The outbreak of the COVID-19 has sent the price of heroin, methamphetamines, and fentanyl soaring as the likes of the Sinaloa cartel and its main rival, Jalisco. A new generation struggled to obtain the necessary chemicals to make the synthetic drugs which typically are killing Americans and come from China. and They're they're now on minimal supply. The cartels have suffered from COVID-19 due to the inability to get the regular shipments of synthetic opioids and precursor chemicals for the massive production of the meth from China. In his assessment, the losses over the last two months, and I'm talking about Derek Maltz, the former special agent of the Drug Enforcement Administration, The losses have amounted to over 80% of their standard revenue. It's a big hit. And the pandemic has seemingly hindered the cartels not only when it comes to getting their fix from China, the lockdown's constraints have also crippled the cartel business model beyond just drug trade. So uh, what they're <laughs> they're just extorting money out of the citizens there. People that have a lot of money are uh, in Mexico now are buying bulletproof cars and so forth and trying to uh, move from where they uh, live currently until this whole thing is over. Cartels, their business model, being hit. So some good news coming out of this uh, pandemic. Well, the president in the Rose Garden said we have a few more bad weeks due to COVID-19. The model shows April 14th as the peak of the United States as a whole. However, it notes the projections are contingent on the continuation of strong social distancing measures and other protective measures. The president uh, officially extended the slow the spread coronavirus guidelines to April the 30th during a press conference over the weekend. Nothing would be worse than declaring victory before victory is won, and that would be the greatest loss of all, said Trump, who remained optimistic on reopening the economy on Easter, say, said during the press conference in the Rose Garden, the better you do and the faster this whole nightmare will, be, will end. Therefore, we are extending our guidelines to April the 30th to slow the spread. He continued. Uh, so, uh, the it is kind of a rolling effect. On average, uh, most uh, states will complete, or the, the early states will complete, it, like New York, on April the 9th. And I'm talking about getting to the peak. Our peak in Florida, according to the predictions, is May the 3rd. Uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Burtz who I've really gained respect for her calm attitude as she gives the information she gives the task force infectious disease advisors said university research has estimated that the number of deaths in the US is as high as 2 million if the virus went unmitigated between 100,000 and 200,000 if mitigated that's still a big number officials are now using a more detailed model than updated daily with the latest data and they're hoping mass corporate uh, cooperation will lower the number of deaths So uh, she is urging us all to continue, and we here in the Hardin household plan on continuing uh, social distancing and other things to support this effort. She said, it's communities that will do this. There is no magic bullet, she said. In the meantime, Trump said the government has been distributing supplies like ventilators to states and been sending military and FEMA personnel to establish field hospitals in New York, California, Louisiana, and Michigan. The president also praised the healthcare workers who have been on the front lines of combating the virus, describing doctors and nurses heading into the hospital like military people going to battle. They are so brave, he said. Now, Anthony Fauci, the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, said that the White House Coronavirus Task Force could eventually recommend that everybody wear a mask to help stop the spread of the disease. Now, you'll remember just a few short weeks ago, the recommendation is you don't need a mask. Don't get a mask for crying out loud unless you got the disease. Well, now that I and of course, I anticipate that the supply is better now if and probably could meet the demand. So now the recommendation is, well, maybe we'll end up asking everybody to wear a mask. The idea is getting much more broad community wide use of masks outside of the healthcare setting. It's under very active discussion at the task force, said Fauci. Interesting. Well, a new study published by the Lancet Infectious Diseases Medical Journal estimates that the death rate of coronavirus is significantly lower than previously reported. In early launch, World Health Organizer Director General Tedros said that the estimated mortality rate is 3.4%. Well, then it went down to 1% or 2%. That was a, That's still a big number. I think that was the number that uh, Fauci was talking about a few weeks ago. Well, Lancet now has suggested that the virus is about two-thirds of that. It's bound to 0.66%. And, of course, this is because uh, there are more people who get are asymptomatic or have very mild cases, not just the confirmed cases. So it includes those, this new study does. And the new death rate is per, perhaps as low as 0.66%. That's good news. Uh, President Trump on Tuesday called for a $2 trillion infrastructure bill to build out Phase 4 of the federal government's coronavirus response efforts just days after Congress approved a massive stimulus bill worth even more than that. So if you can imagine that $4 trillion into the economy With interest rates for the United States being as zero, this is the time to do our decades-long-awaited infrastructure bill, he tweeted on Tuesday. It should be very big and bold, $2 trillion, and be focused solely on jobs and rebuilding the once-great infrastructure of our country. Phase four, Trump said. Uh, Trump had uh, sought a major infrastructure bill ever since taking office and would appear to be pitching that plan anew as the form of economic stimulus. The president tweets, comes as lawmakers in both houses and Senate already are eyeing a fourth Corona bill. Well, just amazing. How do we afford that? If we're $22, $23 trillion in debt, I guess what's another $4 trillion, right? Well, it's big money. And to his point, Uh, This would be a tremendous stimulus, uh, this infrastructure bill, to the economy. We'll have to see the details of it and how it all plays out. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is NaplesIllustrated.com. Okay, coming up, we're going to visit with Constitutional Scholar and Chairman of the Cato Institute, Bob Levy. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Hardin Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8am until 2pm, 7 days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Ballshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards with six full productions this season. But did you know that Gulf Shore Playhouse brings unique theater education programs and opportunities for children, teens, and adults alike? Education is a vital component of Gulf Shore Playhouse's mission, providing programs aimed at enriching the lives of our children, teens, and students of all ages. Each offering provides real life skills and learning experiences that are invigorating, nurturing, and readily accessible to every member of our community, thanks to the scholarships and reduced price programming for our region's most deserving students. From in-school residencies and pre-professional theater training to community partnerships, audience engagement, and student matinees, the goal is to inspire creativity, encourage self-expression, and support the blossoming of self-confidence, collaboration, and a deep appreciation for the arts. With each passing year, Golf Shore Playhouse continues to touch the lives of tens of thousands of students throughout Southwest Florida. Isn't it time that a young person in your life finds out more? For more information about student camps in the Teen Conservatory, visit the website, Playhouse.org.
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York style theater at its very best. Well, that's kind of on hold right now because of the coronavirus pandemic, but uh, they're doing a great job, and they've got a new works festival coming up in the fall and a new season. You can find out more by visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell and Dodd Professor at the University of Houston. Right now, we have with us Bob Levy. He is a constitutional scholar and chairman of of the Cato Institute. Bobby, thank you Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Great to be with you, Bob.
1: Tell us about the Cato Institute.
2: We are a libertarian think tank, headquartered in Washington, D.C., but operating, like most other folks, remotely. And we're focused on free markets, private property, securing individual rights, and limited government. C-A-T-O dot org, O-R-G.
1: Terrific organization. Cato.org. Now, Bob, for the last few weeks we've been talking about some of the cases, uh, raising the question, has the Supreme Court uh, subverted the Constitution since the New Deal by some of the decisions that have been made? And we've been talking about taxing power and the commerce power, and most recently talking about the exercise of legislative power by these ABC agencies and non-elected officials. So uh, how did the agency regulations impact the second big Obamacare case, the one involved the state versus the federal insurance exchanges?
2: Yeah, this is the, uh, a really a great example of uh, administrative agency overreach. Uh, the case was King versus Burwell. Uh, this is the administrative state on steroids. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Supreme Court had to resolve whether the Internal Revenue Service could pass regulations making Obamacare subsidies available on federal insurance exchanges. So the text of the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, said the federal government can set up exchanges if the state decides not to. But the text also said that the subsidies were available only on the exchanges that were established by the state, not by the federal government. Mm. So enter IRS, which passed a regulation that actually just overrides the law that was passed by Congress and signed by the President. And uh, thanks to the work of Michael Cannon at uh, Cato uh, and, uh, and a law professor, Jonathan Adler, there were legal challenges filed. And the key is that, you know, if subsidies weren't right available on these federal exchanges, then it would follow that millions of Americans probably wouldn't be able to afford insurance. and They would therefore be exempt from the individual mandate under Obamacare. So without the subsidies, Obamacare would not have been enacted. Of course, it was enacted, and the Supreme Court had a chance to uh, turn it down. This is the second chance it had to turn it down.
1: Yeah. Unbelievable. And so what was the government's argument supporting the IRS regulation? Well,
2: the government maintained, and this is quite extraordinary, that the phrase established by the state, the exchange is established by the state, that that's a term of art. It's a technical phrase, embracing more than what the words suggest. Mm. So the federal government, when the federal government stepped in and established the the exchange because the state didn't do so, then the argument was, well, the federal government's just serving as the state's surrogate. And uh, this is really doublespeak, the worst kind of double speech, if there were ambiguity in the statute, which there was not, then the troublesome rule in the courts is that the administration, that the courts have to defer to the administration, the administrative agency, in this case IRS, to their interpretation of this, uh, what they claimed was an ambiguous statute, but really was not an ambiguous statute.
1: Unbelievable. So uh, Nancy Pelosi is saying uh, we have to pass the law so we can read it. Probably it was a good idea to read it before passing it <laughs> to get some of the clarification on some of this stuff. So what's your response to the government's argument that subsidies were obviously intended for buyers on federal exchanges?
2: Well, you know, determining intent can be useful if the statute's ambiguous. But here there's nothing ambiguous about the phrase established by the state. So mm-hmm. you don't have to look at what the intent was. you got to the words there, uh, to govern you. And Congress, you know, has repeatedly conditioned uh, the receipt of benefits on uh, state cooperation. So nobody should have been surprised or puzzled by just another program that bribed the states in order to uh, to join. The real mockery of intent would have been if the uh, the subsidies were authorized without any strings attached. Attach. The government never does that. Mm-hmm. Uh, LBJ's Medicaid, Nixon's uh, health care reform, Clinton's Health Security Act, Bush's health coverage, uh, Obama's Medicaid expansion, all of these withheld federal benefits unless the states agreed to jump through various hoops. So the, the Obamacare subsidy scheme was just one more in a long list of, you know federal carrots and sticks. Mm-hmm. Congress's intent was obvious and commonplace. Uh, even even Obamacare's own architect, uh, Jonathan Gruber, said that if you're a state and you don't set up an exchange, that means your citizens are not going to get their tax credits. So that you know sounds pretty clear to me. It was not clear to the court, however.
1: Right, well, I guess they just decided to do whatever, expedite the, the entire situation, so rather than gumming up the economy. So what about the argument that no one understood Obamacare to exclude federal exchange subsidies when the law was passed?
2: Well, you know, a legislature's understanding is trumped uh, by the plain language of the, of the uh, statute. So, in, in this instance, there were multiple references to exchanges established by the state, and there were other references in, the, in Obamacare that just say exchanges. So, Congress knew how and when to distinguish the state exchange from the federal exchange, and there's no part of the of the legislative record that supports the notion that subsidies would be available on federal exchanges. So the administration may have mistakenly assumed uh, that no state would resist uh, this federal uh, handout, but 37 states (laughs) turned out that they did resist it. Uh, And these kinds of mistaken assumptions Uh, certainly don't empower IRS to step in and just redraft the legislation as if Congress didn't exist.
1: Uh, Absolutely. So, finally, what about Obamacare, uh, Obama's administration's claim that the states weren't aware that they might lose the subsidies if they didn't set up a state exchange?
2: Well, it's true, if Congress didn't give the states clear notice that federal subsidies were withdrawn, then that might compromise uh, state uh, independence and sovereignty. But uh, the lack of clarity didn't come from Congress. You know, it came from IRS, <clears throat> which, you know, IRS wrote without any congressional authorization, these regulations allowing uh, subsidies that the, the statute expressly uh, barred. So there was no ambiguity in the statute. All the regu- the ambiguity came from the administrative agency.
1: And uh, the law continues. So after the arguments pro and con, tell us about the Supreme Court's decision.
2: Well, you know, taken as a whole... The language, the contextual meaning, the structure, the history, the overarching purpose of Obamacare required a broad reading, so said the Supreme Court, so that the uh, phrase established by the state could mean established by the feds. Uh, But the the argument that the statute is ambiguous, I think, is quite extraordinary. Uh, IRS interpretation avoided what the court called an economic uh, death Spiral and Congress, so said the court, wanted to improve the health insurance markets and not destroy them. But the really cogent language came from Scalia, with Thomas and Alito supporting him. And he wrote, and he doesn't pull his punches. Mm -hmm. He said the the decision is absurd, feeble, indefensible. Words no longer have meaning. The court does whatever it takes to uphold and assist its favorite laws. So. He added that we don't, the court doesn't, shouldn't possess a free-floating power to rescue Congress from its drafting errors or repair laws uh, that don't work out in process.
1: So, judicial
2: Uh, line, uh, the court didn't judge in this case. It legislated. And the administrative state was allowed to run rampant uh, one more time.
1: Uh, awful, uh, <clears throat> a real black mark in the history of the Supreme Court. So, uh, before I let you go, Bob, any you know, right now we have a Texas case that's standing before the Supreme Court in this session uh, about Obamacare. Any chance it's going to get shot down by the Supreme Court?
2: I don't think so. I think now the uh, there is this this issue of whether. Um, the attorneys general will succeed in a suit uh, that says that uh, now that the mandate has been has been repealed, that the uh, there is no taxing power argument for up- upholding Obamacare. But Congress expressed its intent by repealing the mandate without repealing uh, the rest of the statute. So I think the court is not going to rule in favor of the attorneys general, and I think Obamacare is going to be with us until the Republicans uh, come up with. Uh, first of all, until they take control of both uh, both houses and the presidency, and they come up with a uh, replacement, which they failed to do when they had the opportunity.
1: Indeed they did. Bob Levy, again, the chairman of the Cato Institute. I encourage you to visit the very robust website, Cato.org, dot org. Bob, genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa, professor at Mercy College and author of Josephus of Oz. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Back to the Bob Harden Show, and now here's your host, Bob Harton.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. You do great job creating policies and programs well, after the coronavirus pandemic, to get people off of welfare and back to work. And you can find out more by visiting the website, uh, vfga.org. thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have with us Professor Andrew Joppa, professor at Mercy College and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us
3: good morning, Bob, and happy April Fool's Day, although I don't think uh, we celebrate that joyful moment anymore. <laughs>
1: well, I mean, well, I'm not up for playing tricks today. I don't know about you, but nevertheless... Neither, I'm, neither am I, Bob. Just grateful you're... So, hey, some of the uh, things that are happening in our economy, uh, one of the things that's overlooked is what's happened to the price of oil, which is uh, really having an impact on our on the economy.
3: Well, I mean, there's some of the uh, the border issues are going on right now that may, in the long run, become the most important issues. Uh, our shale oil industry is really uh, being hit hard. I mean, there's a, a good chance many of the companies will have to drop out through bankruptcy in that industry. Uh, it started basically with a uh, a crude uh, pricing war between the Souths, our good friends, the Souths and Russia. Uh, the price right now is, is probably around $20 a barrel. I think President Trump suggested yesterday you could make a bid for $9 a barrel and probably get it. Yep. Uh, to be financially successful or to be at the threshold of success, uh, for the, uh, shale oil industry is around $50 a barrel. So unless the price remains or goes back to that level, the shale oil industry will not be able to function. And if it's sustained over a long period of time, it will collapse. It was that shale oil industry that created the energy independence of this country. So, I, I think uh, there are many things surrounding the COVID nineteen circumstance that, in the long run, mm-hmm. the extended long run, may prove to be more serious issues than the COVID nineteen itself. up
1: well, you know, in, uh, in your latest blog, which I found very interesting, doing the right thing, uh, you point out there is a real tension between the success of maintaining or reviving the economy and the COVID uh, nineteen pandemic. Uh, we know the pandemic will pass. Uh, what we're trying to do is limit the the damage. But in the meantime, the economy, uh, you know, it goes on and on, hopefully, and hopefully will recover.
3: I think those are good words, hopefully being the, the key word that I think is being used consistently, because no one really knows. where in uh, in uncharted territory right now bob the uh, the implications of a, a depression depressions do not go away in a in a short period of time once they uh, they they have an onset uh, so right now we're certainly uh, if not in a recession certainly going into one or on the per, on the verge of going into one but if this persists there's no doubt and this is not just my view but the view of most economists that there will be a depression if this persists for a, a longer period of time uh, at some point, as President Trump has has indicated, the cure cannot be worse than the disease. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, that statement, Bob, which seems so so uh, absolutely valid on its face, has been rejected. I, I've asked my uh, my friends that I interact with, wh- what is the basis for you rejecting the obvious truth of that statement? Uh, and yet, it is it is rejected. Uh, there has been so much panic, uh, in my estimation, driven by the media. Uh, that even the public, not forget forget the word even. The public has been driving the demand for incredible levels of government intervention, willingly giving up constitutional freedoms, willingly giving up the values that uh, theoretically define define America. And this is true uh, across the globe. The UK had the same problem. They they tried to produce a minimalist intervention into the covid nine circumstance, and the public demanded higher levels of government intervention we can compare that to Sweden for example right now Sweden is using voluntary mechanisms to uh, to try to thwart the disease and the numbers look very good in Sweden with a, a population of about 10 million there's only about 4,000 identified cases now that might go in other directions in the future but i think we've skipped right through uh the uh, the intermediary step for mitigation which is voluntary compliance and we've gone right into Dramatic government intervention with uh, very legal basis in most cases. So, uh, the, the, in the article I, I've written, which is uh, the difficulty in making the right decisions, um, Trump is is not quite there yet. He's somewhat bought into the high level of government mitigation, uh, but there will be a point reached. Let's say sometime in June, which they're projecting this will last at least through. Uh, through early June, where the economy will be in such a desperate state that he will have to release some other or, or, uh, lessons, some of these government restrictions, and that will be a very dangerous thing for the president to do because it will lead to a certain number of of increased uh, cases, if not if not deaths. Uh, but the president, I believe, will make that decision to open up the uh, the society so that the economy. Can at least have some heartbeat, Bob. If he doesn't do that, and I believe he will, uh, I believe we're in for a depression that will persist for years after the end of the COVID-19. Which, as you indicated, pandemics come and go. If we take the most, but the most serious pandemic that ever hit the human race, and that was the the Spanish Flu of 1918. Uh, it was horrible. They estimate two hundred million deaths from the Spanish flu in 1918. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, it, it ends. And I'm not suggesting that death should ever be taken lightly. But death has a, f- uh, a finite nature to it. It's over. Society moves on. What it doesn't escape from are the the after effects. The government power increases. The the uh, uh, vigor. Uh, the the psychology of the people. All of these things are under serious threat right now, and uh, but it, the public is so afraid, so panicked that they're willing to accept any loss of freedom uh, just merely to be a protected. I'm not. I guess really is, is perhaps too light a word, but to be protected from the COVID-19
1: virus. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things I appreciate is the fact that our local leaders, our county commissioners, our governor uh, on the margin are trying to grant as much personal freedom and responsibility as possible during this thing. I think it's working out pretty well, quite frankly, but uh, I, I'm reading about the people who can't go out of the house, there's a $5,000 fine if you're caught out of your house. I mean, it's just absurd. With the the, the uh, levels to which uh, elected officials will go, uh, we need to maintain one of my real concerns is what happens after this pandemic, uh, when martial law is, is freed, elected officials are going to be willing to release the power they've garnered by virtue of what's happened.
3: It, it almost never happens that way, Bob. There's a, uh, an old book that was published a while back. Uh, it's called Crisis and Leviathan by Robert Figgs. And he points out something that most of us have identified that once government gains power during a crisis, it almost never yields that power after the crisis. So I think we're looking post pandemic, whenever that might be, and we will get through the pandemic. Mm -hmm. No doubt. When I hear people say those words, Bob, we will get through this. Of course, we'll get through it. At the other side of the pandemic, there'll be an America. The only question will be is what will the quality of that America be? Briefly getting back to the issue we just had about local officials and, and their reaction. Uh, yesterday at uh, President Trump's press conference, well, one of the reporters uh, started out his question in darts to uh, DeSantis' reactions to uh, to the uh, COVID-19. He said, what DeSantis has done is obviously wrong. He starts out this question with this presumption that DeSantis, trying to uh... minimize the amount of government impact, uh, mitigation through the uh, the governor's office uh, somehow is obviously wrong in that and this is the kind of comment uh, that is stirring fear in the in the public uh... in America across the globe, uh, except perhaps for a few countries uh, like uh, such as Sweden and Sweden must be considered as a a viable model voluntary compliance with these situations self quarantining for the vulnerable aging population. Uh, the younger population, population willingly yielding large mass gatherings, and it's working so far. At least we should have tried this as an intermediary step yeah. before we release the government power on us. And of course, we, we can't even consider right now the uh, the inclusion of two trillion dollars as a stimulus package it, into that economy. It's, it's strange, Bob. Mm. I was I was talking to a friend and trying to give him an idea, and I put it in one of my blogs. Uh, what? Two trillion dollars is, and I try to explain that two trillion is two million million. And he couldn't quite fathom the enormity of what that, what those numbers meant, or what those words meant describing those numbers. So here we are, Bob. You know, a country that has historically uh, built itself on a uh, a love of freedom, a respect for individual rights, and we, the, pub, the public in this case, are the ones demanding. The, the 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 yielding of these just to be protected from a rather um, m- uh, middle range pandemic certainly not uh, the the swine flu certainly not H one N one and certainly not the Spanish flu and we are demanding the law the the government take away our freedoms to protect us yeah uh, it's a scary situation post.
1: Yeah, it is indeed, and the irony, of course, is that Sweden, the build and known as somewhat of a socialist country, is actually uh, uh, in reinforcing personal and in, uh, individual freedom, which I think is so refreshing. And uh, to me, in fairness, I think it's not the public that's demanding more and more government. It's the mainstream media and the Democrats who are pushing for that. And uh, I think a lot of Americans are buying into it. Hopefully most aren't. But, hey, Andy, I'd like you to stick around. Can you you stick around? I will be here. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: back to the Bob Harden Show. And
1: now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. Visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, get a to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now we continue the conversation with Professor Andrew Joppa again. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be with you, so this pandemic is going to have a lot of consequences and a lot of impact. We talked about what's happened with shale oil and the price of oil. How about the European Union?
3: I think the European Union is in serious trouble. Um, Der Spiegel, one of the leading publications in Germany, indicated, <clears throat> let me get this quote, every EU member state still looks out for itself first. Yes, even 60 years after the founding of the community. So what we're seeing in the European Union uh, right now, and with the serious threat uh, in the in the EU for of COVID nineteen, is that the the uh, states are closing borders that used to be uh, open, completely open. Not all of them, but many of the borders are being closed in the EU. Uh, beyond that, the nation states are confiscating their. Their healthcare-related uh, products and not releasing them to the other member states of the EU. For all practical purposes, the EU has totally abandoned Italy during this process. The, the hardest-hit country in uh, uh, in the EU, and Spain is is very close behind that. So I think that there's a good chance the EU may not survive this pandemic uh, because they've clearly identified that when push comes to shove uh nationalism is still the dominant driving force of the european continent uh, and i don't know what the implications of that will be but certainly it's something that will to a large extent design the future uh if we look at china's economy they're predicting that uh china's economy may not uh, even have uh, normal growth what they may uh, see is a is a reversal a negative growth in china's economy the implications of that for a A nation of a billion and a half people with 900 million still being in poverty, a a huge middle class, but there's still an incredible level of poverty. How that nation state will survive uh, if their economy cannot provide the basic sustenance for? uh... For maintaining that that poverty ridden population. Mm-hmm. So if we look at the future again, and we look at uh, what will happen with the EU, perhaps, to, and these are all of course um, maybes. Everything is a maybe in today's world. Uh, but with the EU maybe dissolving, with the China China's economy not being able to generate the sus, sustaining factors for life, with nine hundred million people still in poverty, uh, I think all of these things in the future are going to be variables that. Uh, have unknown implications yeah. uh, and it, they they're not getting any attention now because we've got this total absorption and distraction into covid-19. I am not suggesting we shouldn't be concerned with with uh, covid-19. I am suggesting it should not be done to the, the detriment of awareness of the rest of the the society around this. This sort of a, a subset of that issue um, yesterday uh inspector general Horowitz uh, the, uh Justice Department indicated a hundred percent of FBI submissions uh, for FISA surveillance requests, a hundred percent had material uh, errors in them, wow. errors that were sufficient if they were uh, altered or the truth was presented would have prevented the FISA court from approving the their surveillance. Hmm. Um, that has hardly hardly been noticed in, in normal times, Bob. I would hope that would have been a, a huge story. So, so we're looking at a, a disease that will run its course. Um, we don't know what uh, what that course will be. I think mitigation, voluntary mitigation, should have been tried. I think it's far too late for that uh, right now. Uh, Trump has moved from from Easter to a suggestion of perhaps early June. I'm not blaming Trump. He's he's being guided by the hand of Fauci and Burks, and I, I think they're 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 fairly sound people, particularly Burks. Uh, but yet, we're looking at an economy on the verge of recession, perhaps going into depression under a uh, sustained um, uh, close down, lockdown of the uh, of the society. Very dangerous situations as government power increases, and if we get into depression, the uh, I know the public under the urging and the prodding of the media will demand greater government powers rather than less government powers. Um, It's a dangerous situation for our society, Bob.
1: It is indeed. And I must say, it somewhat acquits uh, President uh, Trump's agenda of uh, strong borders, uh, making sure that bringing business home, national, you know, having our health care system uh here in the united states bring your businesses back i mean all those things i think are just very important i think are being the, the whole agenda is being acquitted by by uh, the way he's handling the situation right now Again, I, I
3: think he's done a, as, as good a job as any human being could possibly do in the circumstance in which he finds himself.
1: Absolutely. And, of course, uh, once he decides to bring people out, allow them to go back to work uh, with some risk that they could uh, actually get the virus, any death, any illness beyond that point will be blamed on him by the mainstream media, unfortunately. That's,
3: that's the risk he'll take, Does you want to say, and I'm putting this into my, my words. Uh, the risk he will take is, uh, is will he... Risk losing the presidency to restore the economy—that that may be the decision he has to make at some
1: point. Yeah, absolutely, Andy. Just genuinely appreciate your commentary. Take a look at Josephus survives, by the way, by Andrew job I think you'll find it a very fascinating read. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. We'll talk soon about. All right, thank you, Andy. All right, coming up. Um, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston and author of many books, his latest, Cyber Warfare, Targeting America, Our Infrastructure and Our Future. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: Thank you.
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. You can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We have with us Professor Larry Bell. As I mentioned before the break, he's an endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. He's a prolific author. He's written several books. His latest, as I mentioned, is uh, Cyber Warfare, Targeting America, Our Infrastructure, and Our Future. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Bob,
4: thanks for having me
1: on. Always a pleasure. Well, you're also writing your weekly, and I'm guessing now it's actually seen it more often, column for Newsmax. The uh, column's called On Point. And your latest column is on the theme for today's show. It's called Getting America Back to Work Must Come Sooner, Not Later. Maybe you can tell us about it.
4: Yeah, I think everybody's wondering First of all, how long all of this is going to last, or we're sequestered in our homes uh, before we return to some kind of normalcy, and and uh, and then there's of course the question is we get more and more cabin fever, we keep more getting more impatient to say, well, you know, let's get out sooner, and then others to say, well, you wanna you're trying to kill grandma and. And this, you know, it's very, gotten very contentious in the news. And, you know, this is hard on everybody. And so I just wrote, you know, everybody's got their opinion on this. And, and you know, I'm 82 years old. I'm in that high-risk category. And, and uh, for my part, you know, uh, we've got to get this country back. And um, I mentioned that um, it's not that I feel expendable, but I can stay home. I'm still teaching. I have a bunch of graduate students, and I'm teaching online now. And a lot of other people are working remotely, and uh, so, and and some people, you know, who are not working, uh, they can spend maybe more time, you know, uh, use social media, contacting people.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: But um, I think it's important that we, you know, we not kill the country and uh, and, and kill our. Those who are retired, their you know, their retirement plans and their savings and so on. So uh, it's 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 of course difficult for everybody.
1: It is difficult for everybody, and of course, nobody knows exactly what the right outcome should be and how it should be handled and how long we should re- remain uh, with social distancing. But I, you know, to your point. I think we're all capable of making... We have our own self-interest. Part of our self-interest is having good health, and we'll all be looking after our good health as well as our productivity, wanting to get compensated and have the economy continue to move on. So uh, I'm for uh, our elected officials giving us more and more freedom to make these decisions and not shutting us down, not expanding the power of government at the expense of the economy right now. So I'm I'm totally in your camp, uh, Professor.
4: Well, that's the problem. Nobody knows, <clears throat> you know, nobody knows. Uh, we're learning more and more about the virus, but in, in how expansive it is and whether there's any uh, precaution in terms of medical uh, precaution uh, or whether, you know, are the you know cures going to work and so on. And, mm-hmm. and then there's the need to test the cures so we don't, you know, Issue thousands of them and find out that they have side effects that are worse than for most people, and than the, the risks are. And uh, so, there's all these all these really complicated things. And for the government, you know, for federal, state, local governments, they have to kind of plan and marshal resources and, and coordinate based upon a lot of unknowns. So it's really a it's an enormous test for everybody. Um, I think, frankly, that um, our Trump administration is doing a fantastic job. We've been watching. Of course, we have time now to watch those those uh, updates. And uh, I think we have, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful that we have, I think, very strong leadership. And a lot of the country is really coming together, but then there are those who will use it as an opportunity, of course, to, you know, for partisan purposes. And we get a lot of rancor from, you know, people who are our friends who who have very different views than we do, and they're pretty aggressive about them. And, mm-hmm. and I'm sad to see that.
1: Yeah, indeed. It's politicizing and weaponizing this entire process right now. I'm sure that uh, there are some who are actually grateful that the economy is tanking, thinking it will hurt President Trump's chances of being reelected? That's just a very sad fact, but, but I believe it. And that's not a fact, it's an opinion, but I believe it's absolutely true. So uh, we have to be wary about some of the messages that we're getting. But in spite of that, I mean, I'm, I'm encouraged by President Trump's leadership as well. My hope is that we'll find something like this uh, uh, quinine uh, solution, uh, some uh, cocktail of some sort that's already been developed uh, for other purposes, like, for example, the uh, uh, pandemic that we've had in the past, malaria, uh, will will actually work it uh, reduce some of the symptoms and allow us to get back to work sooner than later.
4: Yeah, you know the going to the, to the Trump issue. You know, Nancy, my wife, and I have met him on a few occasions. Uh, before he was president, and, and and we have a very positive view of him. We we really like him, and he's enormously uh, gracious fellow when you're with him. So we, we're disposed to have a very good view of him, and and we certainly are in agreement with his most all of his policies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so so. We're inclined to believe we have good leadership and to have confidence in him, and I think the way he's handling things is is very well. Now, other, so if he's optimistic about you know the, about the the uh, uh, you know um, uh, solution, or that the it's has a positive opportunity to be successful, he will say, "Well, he's just a Pollyanna." He shouldn't say that. Well, there's we've always expected our strong leaders to be optimistic and strong rather than pessimistic and dire. Right. And uh, so when you criticize him for being positive and being hopeful about things and then suggest that he's using this, he's minimizing the problems by taking, you know, uh, uh, that optimistic view of things, uh, it's... You can't win. I mean, you—you. You, it's very difficult. Yeah. Had it been another president, perhaps it was less polarizing to the left. They would see these as positive attributes, but, but uh, they're never going to. I just convinced they're never going to give him credit
1: for no. what he does. Now I kind of think about this as like the the movie that I saw, the Poseidon Adventure, and uh, of course the the one character, the leader in the movie was uh, trying to get everybody out of the ship, demonstrating that, hey, we can do this. We can, this is what we need from our president right now. We don't need somebody saying, I, you know what, we're doomed. There's no way we can <laughs> deal with this situation. So the president's behavior is good leadership at its very best. That's what we need right now. And uh, sure, there's a lot of uncertainty, but we also need hope. And uh, hope can sustain us if, we, uh, if we're uh, constructive and responsible in how we behave.
4: Well, in difficult times, I think we always look for leadership.
1: Mm,
4: Yeah, the country needs leadership, and and I guess to get political about this, I don't see it on the left.
1: Mm, Um, Yeah,
4: I don't see a leadership that is is that um, broadly in the interests of the country, rather than seeking political power, political influence, or we saw this recently in terms of the you know the you know the. The legislation to help those, those individuals and small businesses that are that are in such dire straits. Yeah, and um, how the attempt to turn that into an opportunity to to push legislation that had nothing to do with money that had nothing to do with this, and and uh, I think it does reflect a, a difference between. Those who really have the interest of the country in hand, in mind, and the interests of those who are most impacted by this in mind, versus an opportunity to lower carbon emissions of airlines. You know, and <laughs> I guess airlines don't have to worry about carbon, carbon emissions for a while because yeah, they're grounded and in. in you know, we we only hope they survive.
1: Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston. Again, his latest book, which, by the way, I just got on uh, a, I I am reading the book now on, um, what am I trying to say, electronic uh, book. But anyhow, Cyber Warfare, Targeting America, Our Infrastructure, and Our Future. Professor, genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us.
4: Well, it's always a pleasure to be on. Thank
1: you. Thank you, Professor. Smart man. And uh, you, don't, you don't know the half of it in terms of uh, his background and what he's accomplished through for the space program. Uh, incredible individual. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you'll join us tomorrow. We have great guests lined up uh, for tomorrow. I hope you make it a great and safe day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs>